Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, we're recording this on, on Wednesday. I, I had the unpleasant experience last night, Kieran, of, of actually wanting Brighton to score. Didn't like it. Uh, it was even a, 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 a muted cheer, which I, I had to cut myself off mid-cheer. I only got as far as cheer. But did you did you have a nice time going along the coast to your big your big South Coast rivals down there in Bournemouth? Uh, yeah, but apart from the fact that it's it's a nightmare journey. It's a, it's 120 miles to get there uh, on, on non-motorway. Yeah, yeah, from where I am, uh, it's a lot further than than people think. Because uh, I'm I'm the other side of Brighton, so it, it, but uh, yeah, good, good performance. We we weren't great, but. Uh, we're, we're now, you know, whether you're in Palace's position or our position, I think any club will, will say results are actually more important than performances. Uh, but yeah, I've only been to Everton. So I've only ever been to Bournemouth once before. And I think that was about 1995 for, a, for an FA Cup second round defeat. Wow. So it was, it was nice to see us win a match there. Yeah, so you're, they're your bogey team, aren't they? they they've got a good record against us. Is, yeah. is, is that... 120 miles there and back, or 60? no, no, each way. Is it? It is from where I live. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I know you're the other side of Brighton, Kieran, but Brighton's not 48 miles long, is it? <laughs> True. Well, actually, the good thing about this conversation is that all our listeners in the north will go, "Oh, it's not personal. He doesn't know anything about the geography anywhere." <laughs> <laughs> I was just, in fact, I just had lunch with someone today. I was explaining they couldn't. I said, "No, I've never been to East London, mate. Why would I, I've been." I've never got further than the Tower of London. Why would I go any further east than that? What's out there? He was outraged. And it turned out he'd never been to Croydon, so on as either. <laughs> um, we, we've talked recently, Kieran, about there being a lot of news. Um, on the face of it, there isn't that much news this week, but they're all big stories. So let's get into it. And the first one, unfortunately, is something we've been predicting or skirting around for, for some time. And it, it, it's a six-point deduction for one of the teams that we've been worried about for a while yes so this is in respect of reading um a couple of years ago they were given a business plan by the efl and the reason for that is that i think on three consecutive occasions reading paid out more than 200 pounds in wages for every 100 pounds that was coming through the door and Yes, you could make a case for saying, well, well, COVID impacted, but COVID didn't impact to that extent. It certainly didn't uh, in 2019. So Reading have been on the EFL's watch list. And then uh, clubs have to submit their final accounts to the EFL by the 1st of March. And we have said that the EFL have, have beefed up their effectively their compliance office, and they were unhappy with what had happened at Reading. Uh, To be fair to the club, it's not been signing players. It has cut back. It's it's tried to reduce wages as well. But one of the, the targets of the club was to try to raise additional funds through the sale of players, and they didn't achieve that. And then, by all accounts, they were trying to generate some money by selling off something else, and that didn't come to pass by the time of the deadline. 
Therefore, they were reported effectively to the commission. And uh, the commission's judgment was that the the six-point penalty, which had been a suspended sentence, now comes to fruition. So that that does knock them back. Uh, It means that they're only just above the relegation zone. And potentially that gives a further problem because should the worst happen and they are relegated, then their TV money drops by uh, five-sixths compared to to what you get in the championship. So in the championship, you're probably on around about seven and a half to eight million pounds, and that's likely to drop to around about one and a half in League One. Now, you do have a little bit of parachute payments uh, to cushion the fall, but they're they're not huge, uh, and it can make a, a bad situation worse. And we could end up, and you know, we've, we've said this about the championship before, clubs are being relegated not by what happens on the pitch, but mm. we saw it happen with Sheffield Wednesday. We've seen it happen with Derby County. Uh, Wigan Athletic have had a three-point penalty, and now we have Reading with a six-point penalty. Um, it could be the difference between staying up and not staying up. Two questions, Kieran, off the back. Presumably there's no appeal against this deduction. No, Reading have accepted. Uh, to be right. fair to the club, they've put out a statement and it, it was pretty mea culpa. We accept that we, we've not managed to achieve our objectives. Uh, it's it's not a selling market, as we know, unless you're very much at the elite end of the players player trading model. So they did face uh, some significant problems. And uh, from the fans' point of view... You, you can understand why they're pretty cheesed off because they see other clubs losing huge amounts of money compared yeah. to Reading. And they say, well, hold on. Yeah, we we have tried to tighten our belts, but you were given a plan. You, you didn't adhere to it as far as the EFL are concerned. And you were told in advance what the consequences were going to be. And they're not totally out of the woods yet because – Looking at the judgment, it does make reference to season 23-24, where again, they are, by the, by the looks of it, having to follow some form of financial plan, some guidance. And uh, yeah, we, we don't want this to be in this situation again in 12 months' time. That was going to be my next question. What happens if, if they struggle then to meet this plan? What would the next level of sanction be? Well, again, what would happen is that they would be reported by the EFL compliance officer to the the committee, which is effectively being set up, and that uh, that committee consists of accountants and lawyers and somebody who was previously a chief executive of, of a of a club. So it's people who who know football pretty well, um, and then they've got to make a judgment call. There doesn't appear to be any set penalty so it, i think it would be based on the level of achievement the the level of adherence to the guidance and then we would have to take it from there in an ideal world this conversation never takes place in a year though yeah I, do you know what i find odd i remember going to the majeski for the first time so i used to love i mean elm park beforehand was a shocking ground and and the majeski technically is lovely and i, I remember going there and i met a friend afterwards a, a reading fan uh we lost, obviously, but we met in this rather lovely hotel that's part of the ground. We stayed there for quite some time. There's a, a jazz venue also as part of the ground. There's a restaurant. I mean, it, it should be a club that's making money in terms of match day income, if not during the rest of the week, 
getting people in. So it's it's hard to see why their matchday income isn't compensating for some of the other losses, isn't it? In theory, yes, but then when you you take a look at the wage bill um, and and you see the level of wages being paid, they're they're not sustainable right. uh, okay. because you're not in receipt of parachute payments. Uh, and remember, Reading did have four years of parachutes for when they were most recently in the Premier League. When, when they dropped off, the club did have a period of time in which to acclimatise to life in the Championship, and it it has owners who either have chosen to ignore the the tapering impact of parachutes and, and their eventual uh, extinguishing, or they're not competent enough to, to make decisions. And you know, it's, it's not for me to say uh, which of those two is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, two Premier League managers sacked over the weekend, Kieran. One of them, eight minutes after we stopped recording, uh, <laughs> which are the least of his problems, I know. Um, and one of them still counting the money he was given for coming in. It's it's going to be costly for both clubs, I imagine, isn't it? Yes. So th- this is Graham Potter and Brendan Rogers. Um, I-, I have spoken to uh, an employment lawyer over the course of the, okay. the past few days um, just to sort of try to get a feel for these things. And he was very much of the view of every contract is unique, but uh, perhaps given the, the swift nature of both dismissals that you know they didn't appear to be uh, especially in the case of Graham Potter I think that came as a surprise although you know the fans seemed to be uh, wanting that uh, in terms yeah. of their appear- their performance on Saturday um, but as far as how much money it's going to cost the clubs uh, you know, Graham Potter had signed a five-year deal which was pretty long by Chelsea standards. Um, he won't get the the full five years in all probability, and the reason for that, and you know, you you know, in back in the dim and distant past, it you, you've got experience of working in human resources. But there is such a thing called a termination contract mm. um, that exists, which which will set out the exact terms with regards to what happens on dismissal. Um, and in addition, uh, as far as employment law is concerned, um, you've got the issue of mitigation that uh, the, the managers just can't go to the beach, uh, you know, pull up a chaise lounge or something similar and, and just relax for the next few years. They, they've got to be seen to be trying to return to employment. That doesn't have to be straight away. You know, they, They're entitled to a little bit of time to uh, acclimatise to, to what has just happened. Um, and then people have said to me, well, you know, what happens if, for example, Brendan Rogers and, and Graham Potter, let's say they're given a, a one-year or two-year settlement. We, we don't know what the terms are, and ultimately it's, it's, it's none of our business. It's a private contract. What happens if they do get a job? Is there the opportunity for, for, for clawback by Chelsea and Leicester? And, and when I spoke to the employment lawyer, uh, you'll be delighted to know, he said, it depends, which is, is of course, exactly the answer we would expect. Um, and, and I was very impressed. Um, but the, the reason why managers, yeah, they do have the LMA, they, they do have a degree of protection when they sign a contract, 
is it's such a precarious industry. If you look at the number of dismissals that we've seen in the Premier League this season, I think it is a record. Um, only one of those has not been through sacking, um, and, and that was that was Chelsea taking Graham Potter in the first place. In the Championship, it could be argued it's even worth. I think the the, the average life expectancy of, of a manager's job is is measured in around about fourteen months at present. Mm. Um, and, and as somebody said to me, the reason why we need this protection is it's parachute payments for managers by having these termination clauses because they have to go from uh, having a certain level of income to effectively nothing. And you're not guaranteed to get another job. You think about the number of people that, that do disappear from, from management. Um, so therefore, those people who are being critical of the managers and saying, you know, they're, they're they're robbing the clubs and so on. Well, that's not the case. You know, we all we all do jobs, and and I think every manager uh, tries their level best to to succeed and and to uh, you know bring success to the club. And it's it's just the nature of the industry that you, you can't have you know, eighteen or twenty champions uh, in an individual division, and owners get trigger happy as a result. Quite difficult pulling up a chaise long on the beach. I would guess. <laughs> yes, it would be actually. Especially, especially down your way with the pebbles. Um, I, I, I don't think it will be long before Graham Potter and Brendan Rodgers are in a job because around about five o'clock on uh, Sunday tea time, every single Palace fan I know was speculating that which one was going to come to us yes. as our new manager. Um, the answer to which I predicted is going to be neither because we can't afford them. But talking of Graham Potter leaving uh, Brighton, and I think – it's already it's a record number of Premier League managers uh, sacked this season, and Potter is the exception. But there was this figure being bandied about that Chelsea had paid Brighton twenty one million pounds to take Potter off their hands. Is is that true? And if so, would Chelsea be looking to claw some of that money back from Brighton? No, th- th- uh, that 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 number first of all is correct. Right. That that was uh, disclosed in the Brighton accounts. So it was twenty one and a half million pounds, and the reason for that is that Graham Potter had signed a six year contract at Brighton uh, a few a few weeks after he he was himself poached from Swansea. So uh, you know, there is an element of. Uh, Sort of Schadenfreude, I think, uh, from from Brighton fans, but I, I think it's it's harsh. Brighton have done well out of this, but that money was compensation to release Graham Potter from his contract. Now, what Chelsea subsequently chose to do in a offering Graham Potter a a contract on somewhere between ten to twelve million pounds, depending on which journalists you you believe, and then deciding to release him from the contract. Brighton are not party to that decision, so therefore they they keep all of the money um, with regards to that. It's it's exactly the same as if you if you sign a player and it, it doesn't work out and he's sold in the next window, um, the the club that you bought him from they they still bank the cash from the original sale. Mm. There's a struggling Premier League club, Kieran, who haven't sacked their manager, uh, not at time of recording anyway. Um, but are moving other officials out of the club at a rate of knots? Yes, this is Everton. And um, I, I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm being quite mean here, but Everton are now on their, their third f- firm of auditors in, in four years. And, and they've moved from uh, Deloitte, who are 
you know, one of, the, one of the, the biggest auditing firms. They then moved to a firm called BDO, which is a bit like going from Champions League to Premier League, shall we say. Um, and then there was a report in The Guardian, I think it was in October or November, where one of The Guardian journalists said, BDO aren't happy and they're thinking of walking away from Everton. And at the time, a spokesperson for Farhad Mashiri says, this is nonsense, BDO are still our auditors, I don't know where you're getting these, these stories from, um, and, and was quite a you know, quite a solid pushback. So Everton's accounts came out on Friday, um, and I was at Mamma Mia, the party at the O2, trying to, trying to look at them in, in between not getting divorced. Um uh, as, as I was there with the Baroness. And I, I, I noted that uh, Everton had moved to yet yet another firm of auditors. Now, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a chartered accountant. I, you know, auditing and accounting, I'm, I'm not denying, is is pretty humdrum work. You know, it's pretty routine stuff. But firms of accountants, if they are unhappy with the accounts, they will ask the the client to change them. And if the client refuses, you've got either one of two choices. You can say, in our opinion, the accounts are a fabrication. And no accountant particularly wants to go down that particular route. It's difficult to have a, a good working relationship. Or you just resign. You just say, yeah, I'm moving on. Um, and do do companies change their auditors? Yes, they do. Do they do it on a regular basis? No, it doesn't. The only club that has changed auditors more times than Everton over the course of the last few years is West Bromwich Albion. And we're fully aware of the car crash that's existed there with regards to directors' loans not being repaid. Uh, You know, there's been a lot of frustration. So I put that out on social media um on the train on the way home from uh from london to brighton uh uh the the baroness had passed out through prosecco fumes uh by that stage and i i got home and it was gone midnight and all of a sudden everton get in contact with me and say what what are you doing why are you saying that i'm saying oh, really? i'm saying that oh. because you know that's that's what's happened and they go well f- firms of auditors change all the time and i said yeah but I'm, I've not said that there's anything behind it. Well, and and the reaction was uh, that, I, I, that I was trying to stir things, and, and I'm not. I, I, yeah, we we we. I think we pride ourselves here is that we are not partisan for yeah. or against. But there is there is a broader issue. Uh, yeah, this isn't the first time I've fallen out with with Everton, and yeah, I've I, I want Everton to do well because I work in the city of Liverpool, and a yeah, successful yeah. Everton is good for the city. Um, but I think there is a broader issue that the club does appear to have quite a few issues. And I was talking to a senior journalist over the course of the weekend about something else, and he brought up the subject. And he says, you know, their their press office is is now sort of toxic in terms of its relationship with, right. with journalists because they right. journalists feel that they've been misled. And uh, you know, he, he said we've now moved into a sort of a uh, if you go back to you know the first Iraq War and, and we, we now they're now seen as chemical alley in terms of. <laughs> 
some of the comments which journalists are saying upon subsequent investigation uh, isn't necessarily the case. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's a sad situation that we're in, that there's been, I think, a breakdown of trust between the media and, and one of our most senior football clubs. And also there's been a breakdown in terms of the relationship between the auditors. Yeah, aud- auditors are there to do a job. Yeah, and it's it's not a fun job and, and it's not a glamorous job, but it, it's there to, to a certain extent to, to protect uh, all of the stakeholders in a business. And if you're not happy with the way things are being presented, then professionally you need to walk away and, and that's what we've seen happen now uh, and, and I don't think it reflects well on on what's happening at that club itself <coughs> excuse me Kieran as a performer can I take exception at your behavior during Mamma Mia the party because those fine young actors singers and dancers would be giving their all and mm. after the show they'd be going well, that seemed to go well, and then all of them will say, yeah, except for that one tall bloke right in the middle who not only wouldn't wave his sparkler in the air with the others, <laughs> just spent three whole songs holding his mobile phone up while his poor wife was face down in a daiquiri. I wonder what he was trying to, I wonder what he was trying to do, and they would have been going, well, maybe, maybe one of his parents is ill, maybe he's waiting for some kind of medical test result, and it turns out that you were, in fact, checking... Everton's accounts. Well, they, those those people give their everything to to entertain you, Kieran, and you're behaving like that. Are there people speculating about specific reasons that the auditors are leaving? I mean, would you, the first thing that came into my head is: Are they not wanting to be complicit in the COVID loss claim, or is it just as you say that sometimes auditors are the wrong people for the wrong club? It could be one of those two. Um, one thing which was quite notable. Now we don't know whether the auditors would effectively put their foot down. This could be the new firm of auditors. Is that if you take a look at the small print of Everton's accounts, it says in the event of the club being relegated, one of the external lenders uh, has clauses which could have an impact upon the club's finances. Um, And I think reading between the lines, that's saying, if you go down, we may want some of our money back. We may want some more of our money back, or it could be we're going to charge you a higher rate of interest. But all of that does have financial consequences. Um, And the auditors did make reference to that. At the same time, the the club owner, Farhad Mashiri, I, I think to a certain extent, he could have put this all to bed by saying, in the event of the worst happening and Everton being relegated, I will step in and I will guarantee those loans. Yeah. I, I will I, I will provide myself funding. And, and the fact that that hasn't been made, uh, again, makes you feel slightly uneasy. And those people who have uh, sort of raised their eyebrows, and, and there's you know, one of the Everton bloggers, a guy called Paul Viesk, uh, I think most Everton fans were aware of it. He's posted you know, a, a fairly similar analysis uh, of Everton's finances. And he, again, you know, as, as accountants, we're, we're pretty cautious people. Mm. And we don't like to say anything inflammatory um, un- unless you know, there is a, a cause for concern. And the fact that 
people who who genuinely want what's best for the club. No, nobody wants to see a club suffer. Yeah, I don't, I don't care what the club is um, uh, uh, and who the club is, but uh, it, it's 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 a sorry state of affairs. Yeah. Uh, Fulham have lost their star striker for eight games, Kieran, possibly more on appeal. How much is that going to cost him? Um, well, he will have a clause in his contract. Uh, there will be a fines tariff uh, with regard to, A, getting a red card. And you know, we all know that there are red cards and red cards, some of which, <laughs> some of which, you know, some of which is called taking one for the team, uh, and <laughs> this wasn't. Yeah, this was an act of petulance, and I, I think some of the reaction, uh, and uh, yeah, I, what what I think he did was was yeah unacceptable. And as somebody that used to referee, um, I've had similar, and it's not a pleasant experience. It's, it's, it's far worse on on a on a Sunday morning, I can assure you, because oh, yeah, uh, yeah. you know Mitrovic will not be seeing, not be saying, "I'll see you in the car park afterwards." Yeah, we, we know that that won't be the case. Um, I, I don't think it's. Some people say, "Well, yeah, it will have a huge impact upon children and footballers are role models." I, I don't think that holds. I think it's. More, I'm more concerned with the parents because we, we live in a in a world of, of very very angry people, um, and. Uh, you know, the, the issues in relation to, to what's happening to referees in football and, and why they're now having to wear uh, effectively body cams. And, and, you know, and what's next? You know, we do, are, are we going to have to go employ a, an army of robocops to referee football because the number of people dropping out of, of refereeing is, is so high? Um, but it, 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 was a, it, it was a dumb thing to do. Um, he's got an eight-match ban. The Football Association is appealing. They're saying that the... the it was too lenient. Um, so therefore, appearance bonuses uh, and so on. I think I think the biggest potential loss is that if as a result of this, Fulham don't go on to qualify for Europe, he, he will miss out, as yeah. will the rest of his colleagues, uh, in terms of some of the additional money which would be available to Fulham um, as a result of qualifying for Europe. Yes, I believe, according to uh, most Palace fans on social media, uh, an eight-game ban means he'll be ready to come back for the game against Palace, which will be. <laughs> uh, and I have to say, Kieran, as well, if there is one player in the Premier League who looks like he would say to a referee, I'll see you in the car park afterwards, <laughs> it is Alexandra Mitrovic. And we've all played Sunday football. Everyone, every Sunday football team had a player like that who realises, mm. who knew he was in trouble, and you could just see that moment when he goes, sod this, I'm in trouble, I'll get in more trouble. Yeah. And I was like, well, you stand back and pretend you're playing for the other team. But um, it wasn't a good look, and it is I mean, it's shameful that referees having to be fitted with body cams, Kieran. What, mm. Really, what have we come to? Good news for Sky this week. Well, I presume it's good news, Kieran, is it? Yes. Sky presently have uh, a five-year deal with the EFL, um, and that is to broadcast 138 matches a season. Now, that that deal is £595 million over five years. Um, the, the people that negotiated it came in for fair amount of stick from some club owners um 
but I, I I understand that there wasn't a lot of competition uh, for Sky, so yeah, they, they, to a certain extent, they had an open door. But we have seen an expansion in the broadcasting industry of streaming services. So, by all accounts, uh, DAZN and uh, Viaplay, the the Scandinavian broadcaster, who I think we're going to be partnering with TNT, who are effectively now taking over from BT. Um, they were both supposed to be interested. And this is for not for 138 games, but all 1,891 games right. um, that would have been played in the EFL over that four to five year period, um, which I think potentially would have resulted in the blackout being scrapped. So Sky have been given uh, preferred bidder status, which effectively means they now have a month in which to sit down with the EFL and try to negotiate a deal. I think it, I think it is good news for the EFL because Sky will only have been given that preferred bidder status if they have said, Take a look at this number. You know, this is oh, this is what we have uh, in order to offer you, and presumably it, it must have been enough to to knock the other two out of the ring. Um, so I think that that's a positive. The issue of the of the three pm blackout is a, is a delicate one. There are both potential winners and potential losers uh, with regards to this. Uh, and I think what we need is a 72-club solution. So it, it's not just for what you know, what is best for a big club in, uh, in League One or in the championship isn't necessarily good for Carlisle or for, uh, you know, or for Harrogate or Sutton United, yeah. who... Uh, are mainly focused on on match day attendance, and they wouldn't necessarily have uh, a lot of people uh, buying into a streaming service. So, it, it's good news. If anything, which I think helps to uh, give clubs who have, remember people forget that we, we you know fifteen months of football with no crowds, and, and that has really hammered many yeah. many lower league clubs. Anything which is going to increase the income stream is good. We've got to make sure that just because we've got more money coming in through broadcast medium, it doesn't have uh, an equal or opposite impact upon match day revenues. Mm. Uh, still on broadcasting, Kieran, as well, it looks like good news for the Premier League. Yes, I mean, the Premier League is a fantastic product, 188 different countries. Um, it's presently, uh, as far as its uh, MEA market, Middle East and Africa, uh, it's it's signed up with uh, Bay in Sports, which is Qatari based. Um, the downside to that is it means you have to watch Richard Keys. Um, <laughs> just, just, don't, just don't get me started. Um, but it looks as if the the Premier League has uh, continued that deal. So this will be from twenty twenty five twenty six. It was a pretty lucrative deal, somewhere in the region of I think half a billion pounds. Uh, you know, half, over, I think over four years, there was talk about uh, the Saudi Arabian broadcast uh, organization getting involved, and you, and you can understand the enthusiasm for that uh, from Saudi Arabia, given the the, the the country's links with Newcastle United. So again, I think the the football authorities here are the potential winners because 
they must be have been offered more money in order to maintain the service. Otherwise, you just put the the two entities into an auction um, and uh, you you let them bid off against each other. So the numbers haven't been given, but uh, there was certainly no way that the Premier League was going to be a vacuum as far as that particular market is concerned. Uh, there's, there's an awful lot of interest in the Premier League in the Middle East and Africa, and and I think this is uh, indicative of the the global success uh, of of one of our finest exports. Yeah, I, I would love to continue the conversation about Richard Keyes, Kieran, except it may lead to the unusual situation of Nick DeMarco calling us in for an interview. <laughs> it's best if we leave it at that. Um, lots of clubs, Kieran, across the 92, publishing their latest accounts in the last week, although I notice one in SE25, conspicuous by its absence so far. Uh, who are the winners and losers out of a list that includes Man United, Everton, Newcastle, Forest, Watford, Wickham Wanderers, Oxford, Leighton Orient, Salford, Wrexham, Stockport, West Brom, and many more? Um, practically everybody is a loser. Oh, um, okay. What we are seeing is, uh, yeah, Everton was saying, "Well, we've we've done quite well," um, but Everton actually lost more than a hundred million pounds in twenty one twenty two, and then on the thirtieth of June they sold Richarlison, which substantially reduced those losses, but they, yeah. they still lost a lot of money. Um, Newcastle have have lost a fortune following the the acquisition by PIF. Newcastle's wage bill has now catapulted them uh, from the the bottom third of the the Premier League into they are now effectively outside of the big six. They are certainly one of the big players, which which is good news for players and so on. Um, Some of the things that, that do strike you is that the National League has become a mini championship in in terms of the insanity of football. So so we've got Stockport County who uh, have, you know, I remember Stockport County in, in the championship. Um, they then dropped out of the EFL. They even were relegated from the National League itself yeah. to the National League North. New owner comes in. They got promoted in 21-22, but the cost of that was a hundred grand a week. Stockport County lost five million pounds in in the fifth tier of football. Wrexham lost a substantial amount of money as well. Um, and that was despite having you know, record crowds, the Disneyfication of the club as far as uh, you know the the tie-ins with Reynolds and McElhenney. So so you know these are these are these are astounding figures. Um, and then if we take a look at what's happened with regards to getting out of the championship, and we've got three clubs. So we've got Forest, uh, Fulham and Bournemouth. And I, I worked out the numbers and it cost those clubs, if we look at what happened on the pitch, every minute that they were on the pitch between them, they lost £14,000 a minute. A minute? A minute, for, wow. yeah, if we take if you take you know the, the the forty six games and the playoffs that Forrest had to win, um, and you go this this is this is insanity. And you know, people will point out, well, hold on, two of those clubs um, were in receipt of parachute payments, so therefore parachute payments is the problem. But parachute payments isn't the reason why Stockport County 
lost £100,000 a week. Uh, it, it isn't the reason why we are seeing you know, Salford City lose a lot of money. You know, Salford lost you know, a couple of million. Wrexham lost three million. Um, all of these clubs lose losing money. Um, but what we are seeing in the championship is all three of the clubs who are promoted are owned by billionaires. So football increasingly is becoming a trophy asset for ultra high net worth individuals. And it's it's a sorry state of affairs where having a millionaire owner puts you at a disadvantage in the game. I had my own uh, Mamma Mia moment uh, with Stockport County, I have to say, when we had, <laughs> we had to beat them on the last day of the season to stay ah, yes. in the championship. Um, and unfortunately, I was in Pompeii where I'd always wanted to visit and just after Christmas, Ali said, I've got a special treat for you coming up for your birthday. We're going to Pompeii. And I went, it's the last day of the season. She went mid-table. You'll, you'll be fine. So, I, all right. And then, lo and behold, we slid down the table. So I distinctly remember the tour guide at Pompeii saying to Ali, is he all right? Has he got a problem? Because I was just clambering up and down Roman columns. <laughs> and she went, yeah, he's trying to get the Stockport Palace result, which didn't translate really well into Pigeon Italian, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and it wasn't until it was halfway back to Naples on the train before I, I, I still couldn't get a signal. And some bloke came up to me randomly and went, Dougie Freeman scored last minute. It's like, wah And <laughs> uh, I, I need to go back to Pompeii one day and pay attention, basically. Um, we've got two stories left, Kieran. The first one is a sensitive one that we, we touched on very briefly on our mm. last pod. And, and it's a sad story, but I think it's worth mentioning just to dispel the myth that everybody who plays football now or who has played football recently is a millionaire, never has to work again. Yes, uh, this is Craig Bellamy. And Craig Bellamy is a coach yeah. at Burnley Football Club, so therefore he's still employed within in the profession. Um, but he has been declared bankrupt. Um Mike Tyson always used to say, uh, when I was a boxer, I had a friend for every dollar that I earned. And to a certain extent, as a professional footballer, you will have a friend for every pound that you earn. Uh, And I I remember talking to a professional footballer who had been retired for 18 months, and he he hadn't managed to find a, a position since then. And he said his passport was up for renewal. And he said to me, what do I put on my passport? Ex-footballer. And I'm 36 years of age. Uh, And there is is very little sympathy. Uh, When this story came out, it was noticeable on social media. The the common response was, well, he's earned a load of money. It's his own fault. But sometimes you put your trust in people uh, who are your representatives to look after that money for you. And and on many occasions, you will be let down. Um, there are a lot of schemes. There are a lot of ideas which at the time seem like good ideas. And you might be thinking, well, I'm actually trying to think ahead for my you know, retirement as a professional footballer and, uh, and I'm, I'm investing in properties here and there. Um, Craig Bellamy was probably badly advised. Uh, Craig Bellamy, uh, this is not a criticism, uh, is somebody who's been playing football 
since yeah since a child um and financial literacy is not uh, a key element of him being a professional footballer and also i think we we've got to look at the clubs themselves football clubs do not want footballers to think about anything except football and that includes finance so you know i i hear some of the some of the stories uh that you know, agents will tell to me who, and these are this. This is from the good agents, and you and you do feel that there is an awful lot of people exploiting uh, the, these young people. But Craig Bellamy is not the only professional footballer that's gone bankrupt. Yeah, we, we've heard the stories about David James. We've heard the stories yeah. about other other yeah. professional footballers as well. Um, and I, I think it's also important that the players' uh, union steps up here. And I think, and to be fair. Um, you know, I, I do know Meheta and I do know some of the people at the PFA and, and they are trying to start their own uh, guidance, their sort of you know, business school for players. How you're going to attract players to, you know, if, if I said to you as a, you know, if you, if you take yourself back, Kevin, to say when you were 19, 20, 21 and you were a professional entertainer, financial education, who who gives a damn? You know, you're you're selling out shows. You're you're mixing with celebs. You're you're, you're living that lifestyle, and it's very difficult to have a complete come down because what what happens is that people become familiar with a certain certain way of of conducting themselves, and having some boring accounting teacher or financial planner uh, sit them down. They go, well, hold on. Yeah, look, this is what my agent's for. And the trouble is if the agents aren't good or if they, or if you've allocated that to a member of the family and, and they're not necessarily you know, financially astute, it means that uh, you can end up in this situation. So it, it, it is, it, it's, it's bad news. And I can't understand anybody that seems to have any form of glee that any person has to go mm. through this level of financial distress. You, you, you listen to the, you know, I, I read the article um, and uh, yeah, being bankrupt's no fun. Mm. The, the, the trouble is, Kieran, when I was 21, I had a proper job, well paid, tax deducted at source. Yeah, uh, it's, it was after that that the problem started when somebody neglected to tell me that I probably needed to put some of this money away to pay tax and later on VAT, and I would have taken no notice of them if they had. I remember Neil Ruddock in an interview saying that about three weeks after he left his last club, he had a really bad toothache, mm. and his wife said he needed to phone it. He didn't know how to contact a dentist because for the last 20 years, any problems he had, he picked the phone up and somebody from the club sent a car around to do everything. He didn't even he didn't have his passport. The club had his passport. The thing with Craig Bellamy is because he was a combative, mouthy player, people still remember that. But Craig Bellamy's done some brilliant stuff with yeah, young exactly. Africans. He, he set up all sorts of of, of training courses out in, uh, to at no cost to young kids out in Africa for providing. He did some brilliant things. So as you say, it, it does nobody any service to take pleasure out of his misfortunes at the moment. This last story, Kieran, is an odd one in that it should be huge. Um, Newsnight and one or two other papers tried their best to make this a headline story, but it, it kind of went under the radar for some reason. And yet it's a huge, huge story about possible tax avoidance, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, because I, I was supposed to go on Newsnight about it. I know, it, we and- were together and you were you were proper humpy uh, madam. <laughs> You, you went full Lisa, Lisa Manelli. 
that you had to <laughs> you had to stay with me and some Palace fans rather than trooping off to the Newsnight studio. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, so, so this is in respect of uh, tax, or rather, no tax, and it would appear that uh, Premier League clubs. Uh, may have reduced their tax bills or the tax bills of some of their employees um, by £250 million over a three-year period. And it all comes down to the issue of agents and what's referred to as dual representation. This is where the agent uh, works on behalf of both the player and the football club. And some people hold up their hand and say, hold on, that's a conflict of interest. And you can say on, on the face of it, you can perhaps see that because you know, when you're getting somebody to negotiate on your behalf, you're trying to get a better deal for you. Um, and therefore, how can you do that on, on both sides of the table? But talking to people in the game, they say, well, well, hold on. Um, I think what has happened here is that HMRC, which has a responsibility to ensure that the exchequer is not defunded, uh, HMRC is very unhappy with those scenarios where the the agent says, 50% of my time is spent working on behalf of the football club and 50% of my time is spent on working on behalf of the client. Um and, and the reason why this is an issue is that if the uh, if the agent is actually working, let's say eighty percent or ninety percent of their time on behalf of the footballer, and is being paid by the football club, that's a benefit in kind. So uh-huh, therefore, right. the footballer should a um, have to put that on their, their 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 tax return, and and therefore they would be taxed at you know. In all probability, Premier League footballer would be 45% um, and plus national insurance. If the employer is is providing that service, then the employer potentially will have national insurance issues arising in, in respect of that. So I think this is a case where some clubs have perhaps been a bit uh, a bit carefree and, and have just signed off deals and said, yes, it's 50-50. Uh, I, I did speak to one uh, one finance director of a club who says every time we have a negotiation with a player um, and we are using his agent and he said yeah, there's advantages for both parties the player might be reasonably happy and what the agent can do yeah the club has a world so, yeah, we'd really like the player to stay for an extra two years um, what do we have to do and the agent will say well yeah i think you should try doing this the player's unhappy about x and y and from the club's point of view um that means that you end up with the player who stays longer which means that you you don't have that that that, that risk you know the the player is a known entity and you get that player playing for you for the next couple of years which you don't have to go out in the transfer market you don't have the the lottery of trying to both buy and sell players um so so clubs say we genuinely benefit here the the client in the form of the football player benefits as well because they get a pay rise they get the security of an extra 2 years on their contract um and it now comes to 
how much time has both the agent and the uh, agent from the, from the player's perspective and the club's perspective in terms of time being allocated. And, and what this, this finance director says, every time I get into that scenario, I phone up HMRC and I say, this is what we've done. In our opinion, it's 70-30 in respect of the player. Right. Do you agree to that? And he says, and it's like all things with, with your with, with people from HMRC, I've always found them to be very nice. Yeah, if if yeah. you are straight and honest with them, that they, they don't particularly want to make life awkward for people. It's where some clubs, I think, historically tried to push push it a little bit um, and not perhaps given details. And, and that's why we've seen this level of investigation. So is it, uh, is it aggressive tax avoidance? I, I, I think it's sort of a bit of sloppiness more than anything else. Right. But I think we could see some clubs uh, having to pay more in tax and we could see more players having to, to pay more in tax. And again, going back to our previous story in respect of, of Craig Bellamy, um, some players had absolutely no idea what the deductions in their pay packet meant. And, and this, uh, again, is, is an area which I, I think for the safety of the individual is something which either the player's agent or the you know, the PFA, which is, hey, I think PFA is, is wanting to get involved in this, needs to offer a layer of protection. Because if you don't know what's being taken from your pay packet, then it doesn't necessarily mean that what's being taken is right. Hmm. I have to say my accountant, Bobby Numbers, was always very impressed by the advice you gave me when dealing with HMRC, which is essentially don't take the piss. Yes. Basically. I mean, he puts it in a more accounting-based language, but essentially don't take the piss, be nice to them. But I've always found, I have to say, I've always found him uh, utterly charming and efficient and quite nice. But that yeah. probably reflects the person they're talking to, Kieran. Who knows? Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that would be very kind of you. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash price of football. And if you have a question you'd like answered on our questions pod, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you as always uh, for your support for the show and all the different ways of showing it, and especially those people at Patreon who are who are giving us money voluntarily uh, you know, as an appreciation for the show. Um, there's a variety of ways of showing uh, your your positive vibes towards the price of football. One of which is, by all accounts, going onto your app and, and giving us a review. And it helps us in the charts. It helps us with algorithms. Uh, it doesn't matter what you say in the review. You could even say you would rather have the show presented by Penelope Pitstop oh. and Dame Edna Everidge. Oh. And it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to us. Both. Gorgeous, glamorous, intelligent, funny women. Um, I'm going to end, Kieran, with a little bit of insight into my uh, married life. As Ali is on her way out to see a show tonight. She gave me a quiet kiss on the head to say goodbye while we're recording and slipped a little note under the laptop, which I've just pulled out, expecting it to say, see you later, love you. And it just says, don't forget to change the cat litter. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm off to change the cat litter, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Bye. The price of football.
provide some photo ball.